Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Naked Without Shame podcast. Today, we are going to be joined by a guest host of Awaken Catholic to talk more about original solitude and original unity. Stay tuned. Open your pops, open up your pops to Christ. Before we, we begin, um, we want to invite you to consider downloading the Awaken app. Um, the Awaken app is basically like a social media alternative um, where you can get on and you can talk with like-minded people. Um, and you can also talk with the show hosts, such as me and Megan and Andrew. Um, and we're happy to chat with you on there um, and get access also to prayers. Um, there's a shop, all sorts of cool things. So to download that, you go to theawakenapp.io. And we also want you to consider being a part of our patronage community. If you go to nakedwithoutshameshow.com, you will find our shows and a way in which you can be a donor for our show and other ways you can support us um, in our ministry. Okay, so we are here with somebody you might recognize if you are familiar with Awaken Catholic. This is Andrew Reinhardt. He is the host of Physically Spiritual. And we are going to hear from him about the beauty of original solitude and how that's related to original unity um, in very practical, interesting ways. We've been um, talking a little bit about those concepts on our show, um, original solitude in our episode on kind of singleness, mm -hmm. and then also a talk on marriage as well. So if you're interested in those, check those out. But I think today our conversation is really going to like deepen yeah. um, and expand what what we've been talking about so far. So Andrew, welcome to our show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Uh, we're excited to learn with you. So why don't you just tell those who are watching a little bit about your show? Yeah, so my show Physically Spiritual is a, basically comes out of a mix of what I'm curious about and what I've experienced in my own life. I was um, I've been passionate about John Paul II's Theology of the Body for years and was really considering the question, what does a spirituality or a lifestyle informed by a theology of the body look like? I think we're good um, sometimes at explaining this topic, like it's just this set of ideas out there, and then you sort of learn the ideas and your life magically gets better. <laughs> but my experience was that I sort of learned the ideas and then I just had more ideas <laughs> and I was still the same person. Like I was still not any more capable of being the person Christ called me to be. Um, so I started pondering, like, if, if this is all true, then it should mean that my life should be different. Like the way my life looks should look different than a Catholic who doesn't know theology of the body. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that got me pondering. And then at the same time, I had to enter into a journey for health. I was sort of riddled with stress, was hardly sleeping. I was gaining weight. I was almost 400 pounds at the, the top of my weight loss and had to take a step back from a lot of my commitments uh, just to take seriously my health because I didn't want to die in my 50s, you know. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and by God's grace, um, he worked a lot of healing in my life. I lost 175 pounds and um, sleep through the night most nights other than when our new baby keeps me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> praise God for him. And... Um, and yeah, and, and there was a point um, when I was like studying these ideas and, and then learning a lot about my body and my health and my mental health and everything else. And I realized I was really considering the same question from two different perspectives, that this integrated, holistic, 
life of basically health and wholeness, physically, spiritually, and mentally, was living the theology of the body. And so that aha moment kind of like launched me into um, just going deeper with all these topics and then wanting to share what I was discovering. And that's where physically spiritual came from. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. So check out that show if you're interested. Uh, we enjoy listening. So yep, definitely, sure. definitely recommend that you check out Andrew's show. Um, yeah. So let's just jump into maybe our topics for today, uh, starting off with original solitude. You want to share your thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and so in the second season of Physically Spiritual, I've been exploring a, a lot of different topics, but three in particular. I did an episode on solitude and the role of sort of being alone in meditation for health. Then I also did episodes on matrimony and holy orders where I sort of touched on some of these themes. And then as I, I remember as I was giving or preparing my notes for the episode on holy orders, I like something clicked in my brain about this topic. Um, and, and the idea was that um, like these three kind of uh, characteristics of Adam and Eve that John Paul II describes um, sort of getting a, a lens or a look into what it was like to be human before sin, original solitude, original unity and original nakedness. Right. And we, we often focus on, I think maybe too much that we've sort of, because of sin lost this original nakedness or original innocence. And it's like, I wish I wasn't like doing these bad things that I know are sinful. Right. Um, and I realized that though that our capacity to be the person God was calling us to be was dependent on our ability to, to really reclaim not just the original innocence and, and nakedness, but also to reclaim the unity and solitude part, hmm. right? But, but it all begins with solitude. It all begins with this, this first state of, of hum, humanity in the face of God. Here's uh, from John Paul II's words. And this is in his fifth audience in the Theology of the Body. He says, Thus the created man finds himself from the first moment of his existence before God in search of his own being, as it were, one could say, in search of his own definition. Today one would say in search of his own identity. Right? So, so Adam, humanity, we were alone because we were the only thing in all of creation with a rational mind and a free will. Right? So, so nothing else in the created order was like us. Um, but, but what that meant for us in our interiority was we had this dynamic, this searching. Like there was a part of us that, that needed God in a way that the rest of the created order doesn't. Right? The rest of the created order sort of is what it is and does what it does. <laughs> but we need to figure out what we are and then choose what we do. <laughs> right? so, yeah. so we're alone amongst all of the things that God made in need of relationship with the Lord to find ourselves and be who we're called to be. Mm -hmm. um, because we can, on the other hand, since we're free, choose to not be with him. Mm -hmm. right, so this is what I think John Paul II is talking about here, us being in search of our own identity. Um, but the, even this sort of solitude then is a relational state, mm -hmm. right? It's not a state of aloneness. It's not a state of al aloneness, loneliness. Loneliness is a result of the fall. Right. And we can even be alone in a room full of people. Right. How many of us haven't been at a party and just felt terribly alone and lonely? Like nobody sees us. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> right. Sometimes we're most lonely when we're with other people. Um, so there's something of the solitude that it's a full solitude uh, 
that's not lonely. And it's a being with God in, in a place of intimacy where we find who we are. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's actually include, it includes relationship. If you think of solitude mm-hmm. in what John Paul II is describing as just, yeah, I'm alone. I'm doing my thing. Like, no, like there's always that relationship and, um, there's something that reveals who we are in seeking that relationship of solitude with God, mm-hmm. you know? So that's good. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. So how about then sharing what you think about your thoughts on original unity? Like what yeah. then do, how do we go from original solitude to understanding our original experience of unity? Yeah. I love this story in Genesis because God is, I think so tenderly leading Adam into these discoveries, right? Cause it, cause it says, God says it's not good for man to be alone, right? Adam doesn't say it's not good for me to be alone, <laughs> right? So at that point, God brings him the animals and it's not divine trial and error. It's not like God doesn't know what's going to work for Adam. So he like, we'll do a giraffe and then we'll do a rhino and then we'll do a ostrich or whatever. No, I think part of it is that Adam doesn't realize who he is. And in his experience of having the animals brought before him and then naming them, Adam's in like, uh, almost like a, like a seminary or something where he's being taught that he's alone or he's different than all these things. Mm -hmm. And that's in contrast to then his experience of, of the creation of Eve, right. Coming from Mm -hmm. his side. And then that proclamation at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right. This is someone whom whom I'm, I can be with, right? This is someone else other than God with whom I can have solitude, right? With whom I can be with. Um, and here's what John Paul II says, reflecting on this. He says, in addition, the communion of persons could form itself only on the basis of a double solitude of the man and the woman, or as an encounter in their distinction, from the world of living beings, right? Everything else in creation, which gave to both a possibility of being and existing in a particular reciprocity. Mm. Right. So what John Paul II is saying is that since Adam and Eve have this experience of solitude, right? They're this person in search of their own identity, capable of knowing their identity, being free, or as the, um, as the catechism says, when talking about the heart, that they're, that they're capable of covenant, right? Mm. That now from that place of solitude, they're capable of unity, right? They're capable of truly being one, mm. not just because they happen to be together and it works and they feel good, but because they, they know one another and they, they choose to disclose themselves to the other. And then they choose the person freely in the midst of that self-disclosure. And then they're together in a way, in a way that images the way that, that God is together. Mm. Right. And that's, that's right. one of the core ideas of, of the theology of the body. Mm. So can I, can I ask, because I really liked this idea of double solitude. Can you Mm. explain more about just that, that, you know, just how Adam and Eve had their unity, as you were saying, because they were, they were choosing each other. It wasn't like they were just like, oh, lonely, I I need you. Mm -hmm. But there was, there was like somehow in just a going from original solitude and knowing myself in light of God to then entering into this unity. So I don't know. Can you say more about the double solitude that I really like that a yeah. lot? Yeah. I think part of it is you, 
to, you can get light on it by looking at the opposite, mm-hmm. right? Because in our sinfulness, we experience the opposite. We have a, a coming together out of a place of loneliness and then being together, but not being in unity, mm-hmm. yeah. right? That's that experience of being at that party and feeling lonely. Right. It's because it's just, it's just something surfaced. There's no true connection. Um, you know, it, it goes back to that idea from the Second Vatican Council that we don't truly find ourselves until we become a gift of ourselves, but we have to possess ourselves before we can gift ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so what Adam and Eve are experiencing here is, is that they're two people like God who know themselves, disclose themselves, are given to the other, and then received by the other. Right? And that's that reciprocity that John Paul II is talking about. But it all starts from that place of solitude. Mm-hmm. Without the solitude, they're not capable of the unity. If you take that out, it's not like the rest of it just works. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think so much of what we experience today are, are people trying to come together without that place of solitude. Yeah. yeah. Right? Just, sure. just think of the phenomenon, and I know everyone always riffs against it, but social media. Mm. Right. It's like mm-hmm. this attempt to come together without the capacity of real self-disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. What we do is we, we put something out there that we think other people are going to like, <laughs> but is there really vulnerability mm-hmm. through that medium? Mm-hmm. Maybe rarely, but, it, but it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, what I would propose is um, we need to find a way to restore solitude to restore solitude. And I think we see this in various characters throughout the scripture. Like in the Old Testament, you look at it, someone like Moses. Like whenever he's struggling with these chosen people who are a handful, he goes up the mountain. He goes off by himself to pray and he receives something from the Lord and he goes out and gives it. And similarly then with Jesus, Jesus, um, you know, if Jesus were like trying to optimize his time, he would have done an awful job. Like he needed like an event planner or someone to help him, you know, really launch his career because he starts out, he starts his public ministry and then he goes off into the desert for 30 days by himself. And he's constantly trying to be alone. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost comical. There's parts where it's like Jesus is trying to be alone, but the crowds are following him. So they go out into the water on a boat. He's almost running away from the crowds to a certain extent, but. But there was something of Jesus's ministry that it was only possible out of the solitude, right? It comes out of the solitude. And I think this is such a model for us. You know, I'm, um, I've been married for a little while and just have a newborn. Um, just a a simple example, the the days that I wake up in the morning and pray for a while are completely different than the the days that I don't, Mm. right? Me taking a half hour or an hour to be alone in the quiet uh, you might say, well, that's taking away from your wife and kids. Um, mm-hmm. But without that time, I am utterly incapable of being the person I'm called to be. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that hour of solitude isn't an hour away from my family. It's an hour that makes it possible for me to engage with my family in a way that's necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just there. Yeah. Right? Explain more of your experience of that. Like, how, how is it different? What does that look like? Mm. What does that look like in your day? Yeah. What, what is like the in, interior maybe disposition? How is that different when you approach your day with your family than when, when you haven't kind of gone to that place of solitude with God? Yeah. There's some surface stuff, like just a capacity for patience, <laughs> right? Just that, mm-hmm. 
that, that stressed out feeling of one thing to the next to the other and never catching your breath, like having more resilience from that. Um, I think part of it is going through the day with that sense of connection. Um, you know, I know like if I've, maybe if I've struggled with sin or, or like something else is going on in my life and I'm thinking about it a lot, having that time with the Lord puts that in context. Um, otherwise I'm sort of going through my day thinking about my stuff and I need to be thinking about my one month old baby, (laughs) you know, like when am I holding my baby? Am I worried about my next day at work or am I actually thinking about and with the baby that I'm holding, right? The thing that I know makes that switch happen that makes the difference is that solitude time Mm -hmm. is that time alone with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you're saying is the relationship then is that solitude and really prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Like entering into prayer and this awareness of my solitude before God, my relationship with God creates this greater capacity mm-hmm. and sensitivity to union. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like exactly. there, it, over time, like the more that you really focus on your solitude, you you begin to learn like how to really have fulfilling relationships and have unity with with other people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and, and I would even take it a step further, and this might be a little too extreme, but we're on a podcast. Let's just talk <laughs> irresponsibly. <laughs> um, I would propose that the loss of original nakedness is a consequence of the loss of original solitude. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why? Um, it, it's more, it's not like a discrete event separate, but it's dominoes that are falling as the human person deteriorates. Um, so at, at the moment of sin, what the heck do Adam and Eve do? They hide, mm-hmm. right? They, they, it's, I heard you coming and I was afraid. So I hid, they hid from God and they also hid from one another, right? They covered themselves, particularly mm-hmm. the parts of themselves that distinguish them from the other. So immediately upon the sin, there's an experience of loneliness being together, but being lonely, being alone. Right? No, there's no longer the trusting disclosure of self and the receiving of the other. There's now the veiling of the self from the other. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, yeah. and, and I think this is essential because a lot of times when, um, and, and this is, I think it comes out of the enlightenment. It comes out of different strains of, uh, of Protestant thought too. If we want to get over like a bad habit or something we wish we didn't do anymore, what we do is we, we just jump in with our willpower like, okay, I'm going to try hard not to do that, right? But it frankly rarely works. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it comes from peeling it back. So if we, if we want to experience once again what Adam and Eve had in their, in their, uh, in their innocence, right, in their peace of heart, we want to experience what they had in, in their capacity to be naked, their capacity to, sh- to give themselves, and in their unity, their connection, right, it begins with finding that solitude again. Wow. That is so good. So that's like fundamental. That's like, that's where you start. Like you're saying, when you want to try to overcome something like a tendency in you, that's, that's difficult or sinful. You're saying like, just saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to will it. Like I'm going to stop doing this Mm -hmm. by my own power Mm -hmm. is like, it's no good. Like it it can't be. And in fact, there's not like a, a returning back to, like what we were made for or that, that state mm-hmm. of peace, like you're saying, if, if you do that, um, but like prayer and solitude, like come first, that's, that's what the equation is. 
that's the that's the magic. That's the magic. <laughs> that's the magic. And, and yeah. I would say not just prayer, but prayer where you're actually alone, right? Okay. Quiet prayer, right? We, we can uh, we can be reading, going through a devotion book, and stay on the surface, right? Um, you can mm-hmm. uh, be going through the liturgy of the hours, and the liturgy of the hours is still a, a public act. It's part of the church's liturgy. Um, so I would say particularly contemplative prayer, meditative prayer, by which we're, we're learning to hear God's voice. We're learning to, uh, to share a heart-to-heart moment with the Lord, and we're, we're entering into the scripture, where we're entering into the mystery of our own life, or uh, something that the, our, our church gives us or a spiritual writer gives us. Um, and it's in that space of, of that heart-to-heart, relational, quiet time, I think that's the essential piece. Do you think you could have an experience of solitude with other people? Yeah, I do. Because <laughs> I, I, I get what you're saying and I agree. But I also would say in my own experience that like sometimes my most rich experiences of like God's love and that like reaffirm this solitude, well, at least I think that you're talking about are with other people. Mm-hmm. But it's in a particular way. It's like in this, um, yeah, I don't know, an experience of grace shared with another person, not just like yeah. casual I don't know, hanging out. Do you know what I'm saying? So you're saying like, it, is it possible to have original solitude with another person and not just solitude next to like another person who's also having solitude? Yeah. But like to experience that together. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to like get at also like, what does solitude mean? Cause I think it's beyond just like being alone. Like you're saying, Mm -hmm. it's not just like you can just sit there by yourself and you're like magically going to become a better person or something. Like (laughs) there has to be something that really happens in you. Yeah. I think that's marriage, hmm. right? The two become one flesh. So you, it's a double solitude. You're, yeah, you're together yeah. and yet you're alone, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're one. And I think that's the experience of intimacy with the Lord in, in mystical prayer. And I think it can be found in friendship too, mm-hmm. right? The catechism says that um, really that, that, that chastity, the ex- primary expression of chastity is friendship. And when Thomas Aquinas talks about marriage, he talks about it as a special kind of friendship. Interesting. Um, so I think it can be found in friendship too, but, but that's, that's true friendship, right? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. like what friendship actually is, not what the world thinks friendship is. Right. You know, it's not the Facebook friendship. It's not the, yeah. we do this together because we're both good at it or, you know, or it's nice to be with you friendship, but it's, mm-hmm. it's that friendship that's been forged by, you know, that mutual self-disclosure mm-hmm. by the accepting of one another in a, in a meaningful way, not just in a surface way where it's, um, I'm not going to call you to something deeper, but it's the acceptance that, that calls us on to be more. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's, it's possible. Um, I, I think it's possible to actually be alone with God when you're with other people too. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's the, the, um, kind of core of what brother Lawrence was getting at in the practice of the presence of God, hmm. his great little old spiritual yeah. book yeah, yeah. is he sort of had a continual solitude with God, um, in the midst of his day-to-day life. And, and when you look at um, like the interior castle, I think that's the essence of the seventh mansions that Teresa of Avila talks about. Mm-hmm. She almost talks about this like in, in, enduring contemplative prayer throughout her whole life mm-hmm. um, where, where, where it became like fitted to her experience. So she was able to remain in contemplation even when she was going about her day-to-day business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, can, you, interesting. can you maybe just briefly give like, from what you've learned, a tip on how to enter into that like contemplative space. You have to spend enough time with yourself to know yourself. Okay. Um, 
like it's possible, I think, to go through your whole life and just be distracted. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think it's a universal experience when you start spending time with yourself, it's going to be deeply unpleasant because likely you're living with, you're living with like piles of, of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is what being, being distracted <laughs> allows us to live this way where, where I have like a, con- a strongly held conviction, but then I live this way. Yeah. Or I have like this relationship over there, which is like this. And then this other one over here like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we just live in the midst of piles of contradictions. Mm-hmm. And when we start spending time alone, like all that stuff is right there with us. Yeah. And we have to face the fact that like, even though I can go to church and fold my hands and look holy, like I'm, like, I'm not that great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then so, even beyond that, like silence is just uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so, so, so it starts with actually spending quiet time. And then secondarily beyond that, then learning to quiet the, your interior senses, right? Slowing down the imagination, uh, you know, kind of dealing with your life to the point where your memory isn't constantly bothering you yeah. with anxiety and regret and everything else. Mm. Um, and, and in it then, um, learning to relate with the Lord in that space. And this is something that I really struggle with is like, I can spend quiet time with myself, but I can be numb in it. Mm. Right. But, but it's different to allow whatever you're meditating on to move your heart and then to share that heart with the Lord uh, and enter into that deeper kind of relationship. So I think there's a lot of layers to it, but it all begins with just quiet. Like you got to turn off the devices and, and get rid of it because that, that initial phase, like you're not going to be capable of um, staying in solitude in the midst of the world until you learn how to stay in solitude when you're away from the world. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus was God and he wanted to get out into the desert to pray. Yeah, right. And I'm like, I'm just going to pray on the train. Yeah. <laughs> no, like if that wasn't good enough for our Lord. Like it's not going to be good enough for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I like all That's that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Quiet, know yourself, <laughs> get to know your mess and yeah, starting to kind of train the mind to, to meditate and focus, yeah. not letting your wounds or your, your memory distract you from, from that space with God. Mm. Those are good. I yeah, like that. Really I like that a lot. Once you know yourself, then you can disclose yourself. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was saying is starting to disclose yourself to the Lord as you mm-hmm. truly are. Not like we all start, everyone starts praying by putting on a face. Like we, we talk to God as if we're the holy person we think we should be. Mm-hmm. Like we don't talk to God as whom we are. Yeah. So, but then also disclosing ourselves to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is hard too, because, you know, if you've been in the church world for any length of time, like you've probably been acting pretty good. <laughs> right. So you have to, you have to break the bad news to some people that you're not as holy as they think yeah. you are. And you have to trust that you're going to be received. Right. Right. That vulnerability um, with yeah. others, with God, and then with others. Once mm-hmm. again, like for the sake of original or for unity, for the sake of unity, you share that with God. Hey, I know you know this, but I, I need some work done here. Like mm-hmm. I need to know myself. I need to work through this, this path of redemption. Then you know yourself, you disclose yourself for greater unity with others to be mm-hmm. received and to be healed actually through that, mm-hmm. through that mm-hmm. disclosure. Yeah. So yeah. that's and I, good. And I can pull it full circle here too, because I think when we, when we're not strong enough to do something different, to overcome our sin with our willpower, we think the solution is I'm going to try harder, right? And then when that doesn't work, we think I have to know more. 
but I need to go out and collect more ideas. And this is where the theology of the body comes in for a lot of people. Like, oh, I struggle with sexual sins. So, you know, this is the book of Catholic sex stuff. So I'm going to read this book and then I read it and I realize it's crazy. So then I go listen to somebody who's already read it. Right. (laughs) And you learn a bunch about theology of the body. And what that gives you is then you just feel worse about the sins that you're still committing. Yeah. Kind of falling yeah. into like a Gnosticism, right? Like, yeah. like exactly. Like it's all about this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then exactly. I'm saved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, <laughs> but everything you need to be a saint, I think is in your life already. Well, that's profound. Right? Because all the grace that created the whole universe and more is in the Eucharist, right? So if you have a home parish, like all the grace you're possibly ever going to need are in the sacraments your priest can give you. Mm-hmm. And then you need people that you're going to be radically vulnerable with, accepted by, and, and live in real community with. So if there's other people in the church with you, there they are, mm. right? And then you need to be alone with God. Like yeah. that's all it takes. That's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Wow. Gosh. I think for now, that's a great point too, to close things up with. But well, any other thoughts from you too before I... No, that's a lot to chew on. Very that was good. Yeah, thank you. Those are great thoughts. Thanks for sitting in on our show today, Andrew. This was a lot of fun. This is good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and thank you for watching us and listening to our conversation today. Uh, We'll hope to see you next time. Thanks for watching.